and actively seeking his ideal bride. It had been easy to define the qualities and attributes he required in his bride. Passable beauty, loyalty, supportive abilities such as hostessly talents, and some degree of intelligence lightened with a touch of humour. Finding such a paragon proved another matter. After spending hours in the ballrooms, he concluded he'd be wiser to seek a bride with some understanding of a politician's life. Even better, a successful politician's life. Then he'd met Elizabeth Mollison, or rather re-met her, for, strictly speaking, he'd known her all her life. Her father, Geoffrey Mollison, owned Bramshaw House and had been the previous member for the district. Brought low by his wife's unexpected death, Geoffrey had resigned the seat just as Michael had approached the party with his grandfather, Magnus Anstruther Weatherby's and the Sinster's backing. It had seemed a stroke of fate. Geoffrey had been relieved to hand the reins to someone he knew. He hoped he'd help now and support his notion of marrying Elizabeth. She was, in his estimation, remarkably close to his ideal. True, she was young, nineteen, but she was also well-bred, well-groomed, and unquestionably well-brought up, and, so he judged, capable of learning all she needed to know. She was a very English beauty, with pale blonde hair and blue eyes, a fine complexion, and a slender figure well-suited to the current fashions. Most importantly, however, she had grown up in a political house. Even more, her aunt, Caroline, had been married to the British ambassador to Portugal. Elizabeth had spent time at the embassy in Lisbon, under her aunt Caro's wing. Elizabeth had lived all her life in political and diplomatic households, and, of course, marrying her would strengthen his already strong position locally. That wasn't something to sneeze at, given that, by all accounts, in the future he'd be spending much of his time on international affairs. Mentally, he rehearsed what he would say to Geoffrey. He did not yet wish to make a formal offer for Elizabeth's hand, but given the connection between himself and the Morrisons, he deemed it wise to sound Geoffrey out. No sense in proceeding if he was set against it. If, over two or three meetings, Elizabeth proved as pleasant and amenable as she'd appeared in town, they could progress to an offer and thence to the altar, all in good time for autumn. Cold-blooded, perhaps, yet in his opinion a marriage based on mutual affection rather than passion would suit him best. Despite his links with the Sinsters, he did not consider himself as one with them when it came to marriage. He was a different sort of man, not a man to allow his heart to rule his head. A straightforward marriage to a lady close to his ideal that was what he needed. Ahead, the trees thinned. Beyond, he could see the fields lining the Lindhurst Lane. A feeling of certainty gripped him. It was the right time for him to marry, to put down deeper roots and grow into the next phase of his life. The lane was a succession of curves, the undergrowth thick enough to screen sounds at any distance. By the time the rattle of the carriage reached him, it was almost upon him. He just had time to draw Atlas to the side of the lane before a gig, out of control and careening wildly, exploded around the bend. It flashed past, heading towards the manor. Grim-faced, a slim woman wrestled with the reins, desperately trying to control the horse. Michael cursed and wheeled Atlas. He was thundering in the gig's wake before he'd even thought. Then he did, and cursed again, 
Carriage accidents were his worst nightmare. The gig was almost flying. They were gaining, but not enough. Soon the lane would become the drive, which ended in a sharp turn into the forecourt before the manor steps. The horse would take the curve. The gig wouldn't. No more time. Gathering himself, Michael sprang from the saddle to the gig. Lunging, he grabbed the reins and yanked hard. There was no time to worry about anything but halting the horse. Hooves skidded. The horse swung sideways and halted. Momentum whipped the gig around. Pure luck kept it upright. The lady was flung out of the gig onto the grassy verge. She landed face down. He sprawled half atop her. For an instant, he couldn't move, couldn't draw breath, couldn't think. Oof! Beneath him, the lady struggled. She couldn't move until he did. He rolled back, sat up. His gaze fell on the stone monument yards away. The terror of screaming horses filled his mind. Jaw setting, he drew in a tight breath and got to his feet. Watched as the lady pushed back, then swung around to sit. He reached down, hauled her unceremoniously to her feet. Of all the stupid witless, he broke off. If you can't handle the reins, you shouldn't be driving. He wondered if she was deaf. She gave no indication she'd heard him. Caroline Sutcliffe dusted her gloved hands. Ignoring the solid lump of mail reverberating with aggravation before her, she shook out her skirts, then straightened her gauzy scarf, and finally consented to look up. Thank you, sir, whoever you are, for your rescue, however ungracious. Her tone would have done a duchess credit, cool, confident, assured, and haughty. Lifting her hand, she shaded her eyes and peered at a strong-featured face with a square jaw. It was the face she'd come there to find. She tilted her head. Michael, it is Michael Anstruther Weatherby, isn't it? Michael stared at a heart-shaped face surrounded by a nimbus of fine brown hair so light it was flyaway, puffed soft as a dandelion crown about her head, at eyes silver blue, slightly tip-tilted. Caro, the name came to his lips without real thought. Yes, it's been years since we've spoken. Her gaze grew vague as she cast her mind back. At Camden's funeral, he reminded her, her late husband, Camden Sutcliffe, a legend in diplomatic circles, had been His Majesty's ambassador to Portugal. Caro had been Sutcliffe's third wife. You're right, two years ago. I hadn't seen you about town. He had, however, heard of her. The diplomatic corps had dubbed her the Merry Widow. How are you faring? Very well, thank you. Camden was a good man, and I miss him, but... She shrugged lightly. There were more than forty years between us, so it was always going to be this way. Caro held the horse's head while he untangled the reins. He frowned. What happened? I have no idea. I was coming from a ladies' association meeting at Fordingham. The crisp clop of hooves had them both glancing towards the gates. A gig came trotting smartly through. The large lady driving saw them, waved, then briskly steered the gig toward them. Muriel insisted I attend the meeting. You know how she is. Caro spoke quickly beneath the rattle of the gig's approach. She offered to drive me, but I decided if I was travelling all that way I would use the trip to call on Lady Kirkwright. So I drove over early, attended the meeting, and Muriel and I drove back in tandem. Michael understood all she was telling him. Muriel was Camden's niece, 
Caro's niece by marriage, although Muriel was seven years the elder. She too had grown up in Bramshaw, and like the pair of them, Muriel had never left. More to the point, Muriel had elected herself the organiser of the parish, a role she'd filled for years. With a flourish, Muriel brought her gig to a halt in the forecourt. She was handsome in a mannish way, undeniably striking with her upright carriage and dark hair. She stared at Caro. Great heavens, Caro, were you thrown? The way you took off, I never would have believed you'd succeed in reining Henry in. I didn't. Caro waved at Michael. Luckily, Michael was riding out. He bravely leapt into the gig and performed the necessary feat. Thank goodness for that. Muriel turned to him, nodding in greeting. Michael, I didn't know you'd returned. I arrived this morning. Have you any idea why Henry bolted? I've checked reins and harness. There doesn't seem to be any obvious cause. Muriel frowned at Henry. No. Caro and I were driving home together. Then Caro turned into your lane and waved. She was just a little way along when Henry started, then... Muriel gestured. Off he went. She looked at Caro. Now you're safe. I must get on. Muriel glanced at Michael. We were discussing arrangements for the church fate, and I must make a start. I assume you'll be attending? He smiled easily. Of course. My regards to Hedowick and George, if you see him. Muriel inclined her head. She exchanged a gracious nod with Caro and eyed Caro's gig presently blocking the exit from the forecourt. Michael glanced at Caro. Let's take Henry to the stables. I'll have Hardacre examine him. Caro led Henry forward. Once they cleared the forecourt, Muriel trotted her horse past and around towards the gates. Atlas.